Listen and stream the only talk radio, Freedom 106.5, for the only talk that matter. Hi, folks. So now we join Parliament, where we have your mid-year review. Colin Imber is at the table. In designing the strategic asset allocation and the operational and investment guidelines for the fund, which remained largely unchanged during the period 2015 to 2023. The strategic asset allocation determines the fund's allocation to improved investment asset classes as follows. U.S. short duration fixed income, 25%. U.S. core domestic fixed income, 40%. U.S. core domestic equity, 17.5%. Non-U.S. core international equity, 17.5%. Therefore, on average, 82.5% of the fund's investments are in U.S. dollar-denominated assets. The four investment mandates are managed by external managers whose selection of investment securities for their respective portfolios are guided by the HSF Board's approved investment framework and performance benchmarks. The benchmarks determine the fund's actual holdings in securities in a particular asset class and investment sector as well as the performance of external managers. For each mandate, the benchmark is as follows. For the U.S. short duration fixed income man mandate, the benchmark is the ICE Bank of America U.S. Treasuries 1 to 5 year index, only comprises of U.S. Treasuries with 1 to 5 years to maturity. The external manager is expected to invest 100% of the allocated funds into these securities into these treasuries. Two, U.S. core domestic fixed income mandate, benchmark, Bloomberg Barclays U.S. aggregate bond index, comprises a wide cross-section of short and long-term investment grade bonds traded in the United States. The external manager's investments are restricted to 100% U.S. bonds and the benchmark sector weights, on average, determine the manager's aggregated holding of different types of securities, such as U.S. Treasuries, government-related, agency, municipal sovereign, corporate bonds, mortgage-backed securities, asset-backed securities, commercial mortgage-backed securities. Three, U.S. core domestic equity mandate, benchmark, Russell 3000 X Energy Index, comprises of 3,000 of the largest market capitalization stocks in the U.S. The HSF's investment framework excludes investment in energy-related shocks in order to eliminate the adverse correlation between the source of contribution to the fund and the return of performance of energy stocks because of volatility. Four, non-US core international equity mandate. Benchmark, MSCI. Mr. Finance, your time has expired with regards to the answer but you'll be given an opportunity for a supplemental. Proceed, Chief Whip. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Minister, based on your response, could you state, given the rise of interest rates by the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States, has it affected the fund, whether negatively or positively? Minister of Finance. Firstly, I would like to say, and I think this is well known to honorable members, opposite. Yes, it is. The quarterly reports of the Heritage and Stabilization Fund are published on the Ministry of Finance's website. And therefore, Mr. Deputy Speaker, all of this information is already in the public domain. Should not even have been asked. But be that as it may, 
The fund is doing quite well. Last time I checked, it was in the region of 5.4 billion US dollars. Thank you. Chief Whip. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Question number 155 to the Minister of Finance on behalf of the member for Urupuch West. Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. For the period 2015 to 2023, the entities in which the funds of the Green Fund are invested are as follows. One, the Environmental Management Authority. Two, the Green Light Network. Three, Nature Seekers. Four, University of Trinidad and Tobago. Five, San Fernando City Corporation. Six, Total Visit Total Village Trust. Seven, the University of the West Indies. Eight, St. Andrew's Golf Club. Nine, the Institute of Marine Affairs. 10, Basel CRC Caribbean. 11, Water and Sewage Authority. 13, sorry, 12, University of the Southern Caribbean. 13, Naparima District Scout Council. 14, Banks Village Environmental Organization. 15, Caribbean Industrial Research Institute. 16, Cashew Gardens Community Council. <coughs> 17, the Environmental Research Institute of Charlotteville, Eric Outreach. 18, IAM Movement. And 19, Future Fishers. Member Fisher Gonesis. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Qu speaker, question number 158 to the Minister of Public Utilities. Minister of Public Utilities. Thank you very much, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Mr. Deputy Speaker, the Water and Sewage Authority is working closely with the Ministry of Works and Transport to ensure the smooth and seamless implementation of the S-Bend project at Endeavour Road, Shugwanas, which is scheduled to be implemented in the next fiscal year. In this regard, Mr. Deputy Speaker, as soon as the cost of the relocation is settled, WASA stands ready at this time to commence the relocation works. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Supplemental Speaker. member. Sure. Uh, Mr. Deputy Speaker, through you, Minister, are you as well as WASA aware that a contract was awarded for a flood mitigation project in 2021? We are now in 2023 in order to address the flood affecting residents and commuters in this particular area. And funding was made, was made available uh, by Pure to remove, relocate these WASA lines. Now, um, now, remember you, you started your, your, your questioning talking about flood mitigation, which has nothing to do with this, but then you ended you know, by, by the question. So let's state your question clearly, omitting the, the flood, part, flood part, please. I'll give you the opportunity. Mr. Deputy Speaker, given that my question is arising out of number 232, I will continue. Minister, given that a project was awarded uh, for a flood mitigation project, and these WASA lines were hindrance for this project to be initiated, which was awarded, can you state or can you give ad, uh, an assurance by means of a timeline when exactly will these lines be relocated, given that funding was already made available by the Pure Division to have these lines relocated? 
Minister of Public Utilities. Mr. Deputy Speaker, I am not aware where the member is getting her information. I speak from a position of information as Minister of Public Utilities, and I give the member the assurance that once the relocation cost is remitted to the Water and Sewage Authority, WASA stands ready to commence the relocation of the utility to allow the works to continue. Supplemental, member. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Mr. Deputy Speaker, through you, Mr. Minister, that I'm giving came from the Minister of Works and Transport right in this very house, and you are very well aware of this issue. Are you willing to pay a visit to this Esbenen endeavor so that we can resolve this issue as soon as possible, given the length of period residents and commuters are awaiting this issue to be resolved? Minister of Public Utilities. Mr. Deputy Speaker, let me repeat. As soon as the relocation cost is settled by the Ministry of Works and Transport, the Water and Sewage Authority stands ready to commence the relocation of the utility in that particular area. Supplemental, Shagonasis. Through you, Mr. Deputy Speaker, Mr. Minister, are you aware that the relocation cost has already been settled by the pure division of Ministry of Works and Transport. Minister Public, Public Utilities. Mr. Deputy Speaker, I wish that the Honorable Member should stop misleading the people of Trinidad and Tobago. That information that she's putting forward on the floor of the Parliament is simply not true. I am advised by the Water and Sewage Authority that at this point in time there was no remittance of the relocation cost for the utility, and as soon as that is settled, WASA stands ready to implement and to commence the project for the relocation of the pipeline in that particular area. Supplemental, Shogonasis. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Mr. Minister, are you aware that this, uh, the flood mitigation project was canceled because the funding was made available by Pio and WASA could not come to a finalization as to carry out the relocation works. Minister of Public Utilities. Mr. Deputy Speaker, um, my previous responses to the questions posed remain unchanged. Please, please. Statement by Ministers. The Honorable Attorney General. I'll make his statement. I'd like to move a motion, please. Mr. Deputy Speaker, I seek your leave in a co yes at this stage. In accordance, you you want to speak? Yes. I recognize the leader of the house. You are forty-one. Thank you very kindly, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Mr. Deputy Speaker, I seek your leave in accordance with Standing Order One Twenty Two One. 
to move a motion for the suspension of Standing Order 24-3, which provides the time limit for statements by ministers. Honorable members, the question is I beg to move that Standing Order 243 be suspended to permit the Attorney General to complete his statement. Honorable members, the question is that this House suspend Order 243 in order to permit the Attorney General to complete his statement. All in favor say aye. Aye. Any against? No. Proceed. Mrs. Robinson Regis. Aye. One second. The member that made that statement, could you stand and retract and apologize? I am very, very sorry for calling the man up there. No, no. Okay, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Again, members, um, the division is being taken. Let's do it appropriately and with regards to the decorum of the said house. Proceed. Mrs. Robinson Regis. Aye. Dr. Rowling. Aye. Mr. Imbut. Yes. Mr. Young. Yes. Mr. Hines. Aye. Mr. Dial Singh. Yes. Mr. Alwari. Aye. Ms. Beckles. Aye. Mrs. Webster Roy. Aye. Ms. Kojo. Dr. Gatsby Dolly. Aye. Mr. Gonzalez. Aye. Mr. McClashy. Aye. Mr. Leons? Yes. Mr. Manning? Aye. Mrs. Morris Julian? Aye. Mr. Scotland? Aye. Mr. Richards? Yes. Mr. Monroe? Yes. Mr. Lee? No. Mr. Charles? No. Ms. Amin? No. Mr. Indar Singh? No. Ms. Dr. Munilal? No. Mr. Hussein? No. Mr. Parry? No. Mr. Rambali? No. 
Dr. Bodo? No. Mr. Ram? No. Dr. Ragbeer? No. Ms. Mohit? No. Ms. Haynes? No. Dr. Citran? No. members on a division of 18 members for against 14 members no abstention the vote is carried proceed attorney general thank you very much members please the comments at times reaches the air of the chair so please be clear, careful please be careful so again the member who said that Please get up and retract and apologize. I, I retract. And again, member for St. Augustine, I just said it. It's, it reaches the air, please. And it goes for members on both sides. No, please, 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 members. I recognize the Attorney General. You have your statement. Thank you very much, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Mr. Deputy Speaker, I have been authorized by the Cabinet to make the following statement. This statement is with respect to the matter of Civil Action 2022-04567, Brent Thomas and Specialist Shooters Training Center Limited against the Attorney General and the Director of Public Prosecutions and the judgment delivered by Mr. Justice Devendra Rampasad on the 25th of April, 2023. Mr. Speaker, may I say at the outset that I am constrained to be limited in what I say this afternoon in this statement at this time for the reasons which will be made clear as I proceed. I nevertheless make this statement because I recognize and acknowledge the legitimate concerns which arise out of that matter, exacerbated by the judgment delivered on the 25th of April, 2023. Let me add immediately that nothing that I say here in this statement falls outside of our permitted hierarchical judicial structure, tiered, T-I-E-R-E-D, to include within the hierarchy of our Supreme Court that judges at first instance may make Mr. errors. Mr. Deputy Speaker, I rise on Standing Order 48-2 on the matter of this being subjudice. The government announced that this particular matter of Brent Thomas against the Attorney General is on appeal. Honorable AG, can you shed some light on, on the... One second. Again. Don't worry, I will, I will. Mr. Mr. Deputy, Mr. Deputy Speaker. On what standing order? On what standing order? Members, 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 please, please, please. All right, 
I'm going to recognize the Prime Minister and then I'm going to recognize you after Mr. Amman. I'm standing on a point of clarification, Mr. Speaker. Am I correct that to interpret that what we heard here is the same Brent Thomas in the question section as against the Brent Thomas that is coming here? Could the, minister, could the minister clarify for us? Is the same Brent Thomas that took up the question time? Is that the same Brent Thomas is we talking about now? Yes. Remember, Prima, you have a concern? No, we ask not here. My concern stands. Um, is, it, is, it, is it an appeal and therefore is it sub judice? Right, one second. Okay, members, again, the Attorney General has a statement to make, right? The Attorney General has just started his, his discourse, and I'm going to give him his opportunity in order to make a statement, keeping in line with the ruling of the subjudice rule, which I show you are clearly aware of, so you can proceed. What information can be forthcoming, you will determine. Proceed. Thank you very much, Mr. Deputy Speaker. As I was saying, let me add immediately that nothing that I say here in this statement falls outside of our permitted hierarchical judicial structure, tiered to include within the hierarchy of our Supreme Court that judges at first instance may make errors in the discharge of their judicial function and the Court of Appeal exists to correct those errors. Firstly, Mr. Deputy Speaker, permit me to say at the outset that this matter raises considerations of national security which necessarily circumscribes the detail which I can permit myself to outline today. Secondly, this matter concerns police operational systems and processes in which the executive has no rule. Which police operational systems the executive is constitutionally required to and does respect. We know that the Commissioner of Police has ordered an investigation. That investigation must be allowed to take its course, and we all look forward to its outcome. In this regard, it is important to reiterate and to emphasize that which has already been said by the Honorable Prime Minister of this country, Dr. Keith Christopher Rowley, that the Executive has played no role in the events and the facts given rise to the judgment and commented on by the judge. As Attorney General, however, I am able to speak to this matter, as I do here today, by reason of my constitutional office of Attorney General. As Attorney General, I am one of the named defendants in this matter, as prescribed by the Constitution, answerable for and in the promotion of the constitutional protection of the rights of our citizens, due process, and the protection of the law. To that extent, Mr. Deputy Speaker, my knowledge of what I speak to today is informed by A, the instructions given by the police to the legal team of attorneys representing the Office of Attorney General as a defendant in the matter, and B, in certain limited respects, other matters which have since come into the public domain and to which I also speak. It bears emphasis that, recognizing that the matters to which the judgment speaks are of a police operational nature, Deputy Trinidad Speaker, and Tobago. I, I rise on 49 subjudice. I, I think the Attorney General is going in a realm. I don't think it. Oh. Again, members, 
the attorney general knows the road that he is going down, he has a statement to proceed with. Deputy Speaker, wait, just at the, at the beginning, I rise on 48.8 also. At the beginning of the Attorney General's speech, he brought the Justice Budu Singh in disrepute. Overruled. Overruled. Proceed. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. As I was saying, the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service, under the leadership of its commissioner, must be allowed its full operational remit within the law to pursue its investigations and necessarily to bring its investigations and any resulting charges to conclusion in accordance with due process. Thirdly, Mr. Deputy Speaker, as you will appreciate, my office has filed an appeal against the judgment given in this matter and will today be filing an application before the Court of Appeal to hear this appeal urgently in priority over all Standing other appeals. Order 49, the, the Attorney, Honorable Attorney General has said that he has put the case on appeal. And if it is an appeal, he cannot talk about the substantive merits of the case. Overruled. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. For the record, Mr. Deputy Speaker, I will not speak to the details of the appeal which has been filed, except to say that so urgent is the need for a definitive final appellate adjudication in this matter that I have already given instructions to London solicitors to retain English counsel from the outset so that that counsel may become immediately and fully apprised of this matter, working with our team of local attorneys so as to become fully up to speed, ensuring that howsoever this appeal is determined by the Court of Appeal, we are ready immediately to protect the state of Trinidad and Tobago by urgent access to our final Court of Appeal, the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council. Suffice it to say, Mr. Deputy Speaker, that I have done this because, as I said at the beginning, we accept that judges, at first instance, can make errors. In this case, I will say only that... I did that stand on 48.8. Judges, we cannot comment on the conduct of any person, including a judge. And he's saying that the judge could make an error. It is clear. It is clear. Overruled. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Fourthly, Mr. Deputy Speaker, I immediately make the point that there is an aspect of this matter which, on my advice and in my judgment, uh, Mr. Deputy has Speaker, not I rise been on order appealed. There, the, the, the Honorable Attorney General is creating a real risk of prejudicing the merits of this matter. He is going down, Mr. Deputy Speaker, he is going down a road of challenging aspects of the first instance judge. That is what he's doing. He's abusing ministerial statements. Overrule, proceed. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Let me repeat what I just said, which was interrupted, so that the member may hear what I'm saying before he objects. Fourthly, 
I immediately make the point that there is an aspect of this matter which on advice and in my judgment has not been appealed and which was conceded by lead counsel representing the Attorney General in this matter to which I immediately turn. Mr. Speaker, in his judgment, the judge found that Mr. Mr. Thomas, Speaker, it Mr. is Mr. Deputy Speaker, I rise 49-1, standing order 49-1. Are we allowing the Attorney General to abuse this ministerial statement? Yeah. Abuse the All right, thank, thank you, Member. Proceed. Thank you very much, Mr. Deputy Speaker. In his judgment, the judge found that Mr. Thomas was quote-unquote abducted in Barbados by the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service Mr. and returned unlawfully to Trinidad and Tobago. We are speaking to the merits of the judgment. The Attorney General cannot dissect what is convenient for him. Proceed. Mr. Deputy Speaker. In this regard, it is important that this House be apprised of indisputable facts which form part of the record of this matter and which, consistent with law, demonstrate the errors. One, the state Mr. of Deputy Trinidad Speaker, and Tobago... Mr. Mr. Deputy Speaker, Speaker this is becoming outrageous now. Outrageous. The Attorney General continues to traverse, uh, traverse the merits of this case. Again, members, members, the chair has already approved the statement. The Attorney General shall proceed. Mr. Deputy Just, Speaker. De Deputy Speaker. As I was saying. Deputy Speaker, 48-8. I want you to look at 48-8, please, on due please, respect. In English. Again, overruled, proceed. I was saying, thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker, one. The state of Trinidad and Tobago conceded before the judge that the return of Mr. Thomas from Barbados to Trinidad and Tobago was unlawful, having been effected outside of the extradition process provided for by the extradition open bracket. Mr. Deputy Speaker, on the 49-1, we are going into the merits of the first instance judgment. And they have said the Attorney General has lodged an appeal. He has also said that they have applied for an expedited hearing of the appeal. All of this goes to the merits of the matter. Okay, Honorable Member, you can say it as loud as you care to. Overruled, proceed. Mr. Deputy Speaker, I was in the process when the members stood to object. I was in the process of referring to the extradition Commonwealth and Foreign Territories Act, Chapter 1204 of the Laws of Trinidad and Tobago. Mr. Deputy Speaker, Mr. Deputy Speaker, with all due respect, I would, I would, what's standing order? I would like what's to What's standing hear, order, please? What's standing order? Mr. Deputy Speaker, members rising on, please. Mr. Deputy Speaker, Can you indicate what's standing order? The members rising on, please. Order which what's standing order? Which what's standing order? Please, please, please. please. What's standing order? I stand on standing order. I stand on standing order 482. Thank you. Standing order 482. I, I heard you, Honorable Prime Minister. I would like to hear Attorney General in silence, please. Okay. So again, members, members, the statement is being presented by the Attorney General. The Speaker's Chair has given the approval 
for the Attorney General to make this statement. Again, let's listen to the Attorney General as we know to maintain the decorum of this house. Proceed. Thank you very much, Mr. Deputy Speaker. for Coover North. I, do, I have not recognized you, member for Coover North. Please, please. Proceed. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. In light Chair, of the interruptions. I on Standing Order 48.8. This is a rape of the standing orders of this house. This is an abuse again, of the parliament. Again, again, member, member, I sure you can use a better word than that. And honorable members, yes, we know we have the standing order, which what each member is free to stand up and present. But I have already ruled. I have already, no, it's not a discourse, member. I have already ruled members. Proceed. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. I will repeat what I was saying, which has been interrupted. One, the state of Trinidad and Tobago conceded before the judge that the return of Mr. Thomas from Barbados to Trinidad and Tobago was unlawful, having been effected outside of the extradition process provided for by the Extradition Commonwealth and Foreign Territories Act, Chapter 12, Number 4 of the Laws of Trinidad and Tobago. See in this regard, Paragraph 223 of the judgment in which that concession Mr. is Deputy recorded. Mr. Deputy Speaker, again, I rise on Standing Order 42 and 49. The Attorney General is quoting paragraphs of the first instance judgment that is under appeal, Mr. Deputy Chair. Proceed. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. The Central Authority Unit of the Office of the Attorney General and Ministry of Legal Affairs of Trinidad and Tobago, responsible for extradition matters, was not consulted for advice. That aspect of the matter, as conceded, is not being appealed by the Attorney General. Two, on more than one occasion... Mr. Deputy Speaker, I rise on Order 49 again, 49-1C. The member, the, the Attorney General, cannot say with certainty that what he is doing here will not create a real and substantial danger of prejudice to the fair determination of the appeal. Proceed. Proceed. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Two, with reference to the use of the word abducted, which the Minister, the Attorney General of Barbados has spoken to in the Parliament in that country, there can be no criminal offence of abduction involving criminal offense intent unless such criminal intent was shown beyond reasonable doubt to have been present in the minds of the officers of the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service. The evidence was to the contrary. In that regard, Permit me now to refer to the undisputed evidence of the Director of Public Prosecutions who swore an affidavit on oath in the proceedings before the judge on the 6th of January 2023. Mr. Deputy Speaker, the Attorney General is arguing the appeal. <coughs> Members. Silence. Proceed. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Paragraph 15 of the affidavit of the Director of Public Prosecutions, I quote, In this matter, I can confirm that officers from the... I rise on Standing Order 53-1-F. And E. And E. And E. Right. 
Again, members, let's listen in silence, which the standing orders ask for. Proceed. Mr. Deputy Speaker, reference to paragraph 15. Chairman, Mr. Deputy Speaker, I rise on standing order 482. If we are upholding the standing order, we should uphold all the standing order. And the Attorney General cannot continue to trespass on the standing order like this. Paragraph 15, thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker, of the affidavit of the 6th of January of the Director of Public Prosecutions. Quote, in this matter, I can confirm that officers from the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service have sought legal advice from the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions on 2nd October 2022 and 4th October 2022. Further, Assistant Superintendent, I delete the name, has at paragraph 77 of his affidavit disclosed that advice was sought from the office of the DPP concerning charges and Mr. Thomas's returning to Trinidad and Tobago on the 5th of October 2022. Paragraph 16 of the DPP's affidavit, quote, Officers of the Professional Standards Bureau of the Trinidad and Tobago TTPS sought legal advice in relation to some of the contemplated charges and arrest warrants. On both occasions, I says the Director of Public Prosecutions, Mr. Gaspard, I was out of the jurisdiction. As a result, Mr. George Busby, in his capacity as then Acting Director of Public Prosecutions, met with the officers of the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service. Paragraph 17 of the affidavit of Mr. Gaspard, Deputy De Director of Public Prosecutions. Quote, Mr. Deputy Speaker, it is clear that the Attorney General, sir. And then order 49. The AG is quoting from the actual documents that are in the court. This matter is subjudices under appeal. The AG should know better. He knows. And again, honorable members, According to standing order 24, statement by ministers, 24-4, a question will be permitted at the end of the AG statement in order for you to be elucidated on the matters. Proceed. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Asking a question after you're breaching the standing order, this is not in order. Not in order. Proceed. Proceed. The paragraph 17 continues the Director of Public Prosecutions. Further, after each meeting, Mr. Busby contacted me, relaying in summary the information which was presented to him and informing me of the advice which he intended to give. Paragraph 18. Further, I quote, in relation to the issue of charges, Mr. Busby informed me, and I verily believe that he was unable to render an opinion on the basis Mr. that he Deputy did not have Speaker, sufficient information. I rise again on standing order 49. This is the Red House, not the Hall of Justice. Let the AG go on and argue the appeal in the courts, not here. Overruled. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. I verily believe, by, informed by Mr. Busby, and I verily believe that he was unable to render an opinion on the basis that he did not have sufficient information presented to him in the meeting on 2nd October 2022 to so do. It is important to note the fact that Mr. Busby did not have sufficient information that Mr. Busby did not have sufficient information from his conversation with the officers to advise on charges 
that does not mean that there was not sufficient cause and or evidence to support charges. It was within the discretion of the TTPS who had all, and the word all is in bold italics and underlined, and that is the emphasis of the Director of Public Prosecutions in his affidavit. It Mr. was Mr. within Deputy the Speaker, discretion. Order 49-1. Mr. Deputy Speaker, very simply, what the Attorney General is doing here is leading fresh evidence into the Again. Order 49-1. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Member. Over proceed. Thank you very much, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Order 48.8. The Attorney, Honorable Attorney General, is stating, I mean, making a case that it was, was not an abduction. The judge said it was an abduction. And therefore, the conduct of the President. Any person President, member of the Senate, the you, House, member. or judges of the Supreme Court, or persons performing judicial function, shall not be raised except. A substantive motion for that purpose. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. It was within the discretion of the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service, says the Director of Public Prosecutions, at paragraph 18 of his affidavit, that the TTPS, who had all the information, and who had conduct of the investigation to decide that they had sufficient information and evidence within their possession to charge. Paragraph 19, further, it should be noted that once myself or anyone acting on the main authority in all DPP gives legal advice, it is solely at the discretion of the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service as to whether they will act on that advice, and if so, the manner in which they will do so. Paragraph 20 of the Mr. Affidavit. Deputy Speaker, again, I rise on Standing Order 49. Please protect the public's interest and the sanctity of this parliament from this dangerous abuse by the Attorney General. Proceed, Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Paragraph 20. Mr. Busby was able to advise on the issue of the arrest warrants. Mr. Busby informed me, and I verily believe, that the advice given in respect of the arrest warrants did not touch on the issue of how those arrest warrants ought to be effected or executed. Further, I am informed by Mr. Busby and verily believe that his advice in this regard was for the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service to communicate the existence of those arrest warrants to the Barbados authorities so as to have Mr. Thomas arrested. No advice was given as to how the arrest was to be done in Barbados or how, if arrested, Mr. Thomas was to be returned to this jurisdiction." Unquote. I will reread that last paragraph, Mr. Deputy Speaker, having regard to the interruptions. Paragraph 20, the Director of Public Prosecutions, on the 6th of January, 2023, put an affidavit in the court which was before the judge. Mr. Busby was able to advise on the issue of the arrest warrants. Mr. Busby informed me 
and I verily believe that the advice given in respect of the arrest warrants did not touch on the issue of how those arrest warrants ought to be effected or executed. Further, I am informed by Mr. Busby and verily believe that his advice in this regard was for the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service to communicate the existence of those arrest warrants to the Barbados authorities so as to have Mr. Thomas arrested. No advice was given as to how the arrest was to be done in Barbados or how, if arrested, Mr. Thomas was to be returned to this jurisdiction. Mr. Deputy Speaker, at this stage, I say no more on this. No doubt. No doubt, this affidavit of the Director of Public Prosecutions will be considered by the Commissioner of Police as she concludes her investigations into the actions of members of the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service. Mr. Deputy Speaker, subject only to that outstanding report of our Commissioner of Police, I entirely accept and endorse the remarks of the Honorable Attorney General of Barbados, Mr. Dale Marshall, King's Counsel, in the ministerial statement which he made yesterday to the Parliament of Barbados. I offer to the government and the Royal Barbados Police Force my apologies for the slur which has been cast on the actions of the Royal Barbados Police Service who, consistent with the law and their oaths of office, were assisting the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service to the best of their ability in the investigation of alleged crimes in seeking to bring an alleged fugitive to justice. In this regard, Mr. Deputy Speaker, the statement of the Honorable Attorney General of Barbados delivered yesterday on undisputed facts is instructive as to the role of our regional agencies. With your leave, Mr. Deputy Speaker, permit me to quote from and to adopt the statement in that regard of the Honorable Attorney General of Barbados. Quote, I have earlier mentioned that there was involvement in the operation by two regional bodies which have both submitted reports. Their reports revealed that on October 5, 2022, the Regional Security System, RSS, headquartered in Barbados, received a request from the CARICOM Implementing Agency for Crime and Security, IMPACTS, to transport four Trinidadian police officers from Trinidad to Barbados that evening. The aircraft departed Trinidad at 3.21 p.m. on October 5th and arrived in Barbados at 4.11 p.m. A further request was made to transport the same four police officers <coughs> um, and a Trinidadian national back to Trinidad that same evening. The RSS aircraft departed the Grantley Adams International Airport at 5.08 p.m and arrived at Piaco International Airport at 6.01 p.m., where the police officers and the Trinidadian National disembarked the aircraft and it returned to Bridgetown. That Trinidadian National was Mr. Brendan, um, Brent Thomas. The coordination of the travel to Barbados of the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service and their return with Mr. Thomas was coordinated fully by CARICOM Impacts. Barbados has an Extradition Act, Chapter 189 of the Laws of Barbados, 
which applies to a large number of criminal offenses, including the firearm and other offenses, for which the warrants of arrest for Mr. Thomas were issued. I can confirm that no request was made for the extradition of Mr. Thomas. The Trinidad and Tobago High Court has characterized, as the Honorable Attorney General of Barbados, has characterized what transpired in Barbados on October 5th last year in relation to Mr. Thomas as an abduction. That is unfortunate language. From the reports that I have received, I am satisfied that the actions of the Barbados Police Service have fallen short of applicable legal norms, such as acting under an extradition request. I, however, cannot associate myself with the description of the actions of the Barbados police officers as an abduction or as has been elsewhere described as a kidnapping. Close quotation marks. Mr. Speaker, permit me to say a few final things. Not only do I endorse the remarks of the Honorable Attorney General of Barbados in this, rec in this regard, I go on record to acknowledge that before this matter emerged, I have been having discussions with the Honorable Attorney General of Barbados, Dale Marshall, King's Counsel, on important issues of our criminal justice system since we sat together at the recently concluded regional symposium in Port of Spain, which was hosted through the vision and efforts of the Honorable Prime Minister, Dr. Keith Rowley. One of the matters under discussion since then and ongoing is the implementation of the CARICOM Arrest Warrant Treaty. Unrelated to this matter and following on the next steps from that symposium, I have already twice met with heads of department of the Attorney General's office in Trinidad and Tobago and commissioned urgent legal work necessary to have Trinidad and Tobago ratify that CARICOM arrest warrant treaty consistent with the intention as espoused by Attorney General Marshall of Barbados that all of CARICOM needs to bring this treaty into full operation. Indeed, Mr. Speaker, following on that symposium, I have already exchanged a draft agenda with my CARICOM Attorney General colleagues for discussion following that symposium. Mr. Deputy Speaker, the work of the CARICOM Implementation Agency for Crime and Security, referred to as CARICOM Impacts, an agency for which Trinidad and Tobago provides financial subscription, and the Regional Security System, RSS, is equally of great importance as part of our regional facilities to enable and facilitate support for each other. All of our CARICOM members, Trinidad and Tobago included, who have access to these CARICOM facilities, avail themselves of their services for myriad purposes. It would be very wrong not to acknowledge that work and the support which those agencies bring to our efforts. This country is engaged in a very serious battle to get the upper hand on crime to which all of CARICOM is committed. We in Trinidad and Tobago, Mr. Deputy Speaker, and within our CARICOM family, recognize that the task is one which calls for mature reflection, a commitment to purpose, and an embrace of rational discussion and collaboration within the framework of all applicable laws recognizing the support which the executive must necessarily give to law enforcement agencies and efforts within the region. If it turns out, 
that on the advice which they received from the Deputy Director of Public Prosecutions, that members of the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service misunderstood that advice and or misstepped. That will be for the Commissioner of Police to determine according to law, and the law will take its course. Trinidad and Tobago will attend to any and all of its consequential liability, such as may legitimately arise. But what should be made abundantly clear, Mr. Deputy Speaker, is that all available lawful measures must be employed to continue with unhindered law enforcement action against the criminal element, and these measures must proceed without let or hindrance and without hesitation. In this matter, the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service will continue to be supported even as the state acknowledges and respects the rights of all citizens. I say no more at this stage. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. I recognize the member for Opuchis. Thank you very much. Mr. Deputy Speaker, pursuant to Standing Order 24-4, could I ask the Attorney General, Mr. Attorney General, will you now concede that you have abused the standing orders of this parliament under parliamentary privilege and attacked a sitting judge of the High Court of Trinidad and Tobago? I, I repeat the opening remarks of the statement which I read, member. Let me add immediately that nothing that I say here in this statement falls outside of our permitted hierarchical judicial structure, tiered, T-I-E-R-E-D, meaning tiered to include within the hierarchy of our Supreme Court that judges at first instance may make errors in the discharge of their judicial functions and the Court of Appeal exists to correct those errors. It is pellucid that I have not offended the standing orders. Introduction of bills. The Administration of Justice Entitled Proceedings, Amendment Bill 2023, in the name of the Attorney General. Bill number two. The finance, supplementation, and variation of appropriation, financial year 2023, Bill 2023, in the name of the Minister of Finance. Right. Um, before we proceed, I'd like to call on the member for Baratara San Juan. Thank you very much, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Again. Mr. Deputy Speaker, I hereby seek your leave in accordance with Standing Order 32.2 to raise a matter directly concerning the privileges of the House of Representatives pertaining to the Attorney General and Minister of Legal Affairs, Senator Reginald T. A. Amo, SC who deliberately misled the Standing Finance Committee and by extension the House of Representatives. On the 5th of May 2023, during the SFC, I inquired from Senator Amo, when will he provide a list of all of the attorneys who would be collecting fees pursuant to Head 0200123 fees under the Office of the Attorney General, as he had undertaken to so provide at the SFC held on the 11th of October, 2022. I further informed the SFC that the Attorney General did not provide the information to Parliament as he promised. 
During the SFC on the 5th of May 2023, Senator Armour responded as follows, and I quote, Thank you, Mr. Deputy Chairman. With the greatest of respect to the member for Baratari San Juan, I do believe that this House would record that I have provided a record to this House. A summary listing for the 19th of June 2021 to the 3rd of March 2023 with the names of attorneys. I actually have the listing here, and I have to flip it many times. The names of all of the attorneys up to a total of $206,052,968.49. So that the categorical lapse of error on the part of my learned friend's memory does him a disservice. The information has already been provided." End quote. I then indicated to Senator Amo that the information was not provided as members of the opposition did not have sight of it and the record was not placed on the rotunda as is customarily done. Further, diligent searches were made on the Parliament website and Hansard and the information was not provided. I further inquired of the date on which the record was provided. Senator Amor responded as follows and I quote, I will give that date, but I am unable to say today, categorically, that it is available. It has been provided." End quote. The breakdown of legal fees has not been provided by Senator Amo. As such, Senator Amo has willfully and or intentionally misled the Parliament, as he knew or ought to have known the statement he made was a deliberate untruth. It was false and incorrect. Erskine May's Treatise on the Law, Privileges, Proceedings, and Usage of Parliament, Chapter 15 on Members Deliberately Misleading the House States. The Common may treat the making of a deliberately misleading statement as a contempt. Further, according to David McGee's Parliamentary Practice in New Zealand, 3rd edition, it requires three elements to establish that a member is, contempt, is in contempt by reason of a statement that he or she has made in the House. One, the statement must in fact have been misleading. Two, it must be established as the member making the statement knew or ought to have known at the time that the statement was made that it was incorrect. And three, in making the statement, the member must have intended to deliberately mislead the House. It is submitted that the statement was misleading. At the time, Senator Armour knew that the statement was incorrect and the statement could have only been made to deliberately mislead the House for the following reasons. One, Senator Amo is the office holder in charge of providing the Parliament with the necessary disclosure of legal fees paid under Head 0200123 fees. Two, he indicated boldly that the information was provided. Three, at the time of making the statement, he had the opportunity to check the records to determine if and when the breakdown of legal fees was provided to Parliament. The fact that Senator Amo has knowledge of the matter with easy, ready, and available access to records, there is a ready presumption that he made the statement with the intention to mislead the House. Based on the foregoing, Senator Amo has deliberately made a misleading statement. He has committed a contempt of the Parliament and abused his privilege as a member of Parliament. As such, I submit that Senator Amo has committed a breach of privilege of the House. In this regard, Honorable Deputy Speaker, I refer this matter for your urgent attention and determination. Thank you very much. Well said.
Honorable members, I am in receipt of the request for leave to raise a privileged matter in accordance with Standing Order 32 of the House of Representatives as presented from the statement of Barataria San Juan. The request for leave to raise the privileged matter in accordance with Standing Order 32 of the House of Representatives, a decision will be reserved for a subsequent sitting. <coughs> Bill number two, the finance, supplementation and variation of appropriation, financial year 2023, Bill 2022-23, in the name of the Minister of Finance. Minister of Finance. Mr. Deputy Speaker, in accordance with Standing Order 64-1B, I beg to move that the next stage of the finance supplementation and variation of appropriation, financial year 2023, bill 2023, be taken later in the proceedings. Honorable members, the question is that the next stage of the finance supplementation and variation of appropriation, financial year 2023, bill 2023, be taken later in the proceedings. All in favor say aye. aye. Any against? The ayes have it. Honorable members, the question is that a bill entitled the Trinidad and Tobago National Council on Alcoholism Incorporation Amendment Bill 2023 be read a first time. All in favor say aye. aye. Any against? The ayes have it. A bill entitled an act to amend the Trinidad and Tobago National Council of on Alcoholism Incorporation Act 1977. <coughs> Public business, government business motions. Minister of Finance. Thank you. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Mr. Deputy Speaker, I beg to move the following motion standing in my name. Be it resolved that this House adopt the second report of the Standing Finance Committee of the House of Representatives for the third session, 2022-2023. Twelfth Parliament, on the consideration of proposals for the supplementation and variation of appropriation for the fiscal year 2023. Mr. Deputy Speaker, the Standing Finance Committee of the House of Representatives met on Friday the 5th of May and agreed to proposals with respect to one, a supplementation of the appropriation for the financial year 2023 in the sum of $3,852,055,829 and a variation of the appropriation in the sum of $100,000,000 to fund urgent and critical recurrent and capital needs to September the 30th, 2023. These proposals are being sought by way of the finance supplementation and variation of appropriation, financial year 2023, bill 2023. Sir Deputy Speaker, the details of the proposed changes were circulated to all members of the Standing Finance Committee and discussed at its meeting on Friday, at which time clarification was sought 
with respect to some of the proposed changes to the appropriation for financial year 2023. It is instructive to note that responses were given immediately on Friday to some of the issues raised and a further undertaken was given to supply subsequent responses. Earlier today, I authorized the replies to the various questions that were asked at the Standing Finance Committee on Friday for circulation to members. And I assume that the Parliament circulated these replies. Quite detailed, I must say. At this juncture, let me advise this House that the supplementary appropriation of $3,852,055,829 affects 22 heads of expenditure and comprises recurrent expenditure of $3,496,694,796 and development program expenditure of $355,000,000 $361,033. Further, the variation of appropriation, which complements the supplementation, affects only recurrent expenditure and involves an increase to one head of expenditure and a decrease to one head of expenditure, namely an increase of $100 million for the Ministry of Works and Transport and a decrease of $100 million for the Ministry of Rural Development and Local Government. <clears throat> Members are advised that the source of funds for the supplementary appropriation will be met from the consolidated fund as well as from loan financing if required. At this point in time, I'm very pleased to announce that the government's overdraft is in very good shape and unlike the lean years when we in finance looked at the overdraft every single day, we still do, but not in the same way, and became quite anxious when the overdraft hit 90% and 95% and sometimes 99% and so on, meaning that there was only money to run the country for a couple of days. Today, the overdraft is at 39%. And for a few weeks prior, was at 35%. So we have available to us another five to six billion dollars in the overdraft. So we may not need to engage in loan financing. We will, if necessary. And let me also debunk statements made by the opposition that it is a government's intention to withdraw money from the Heritage and Stabilization Fund. Nothing could be further from the truth. During the debate, the proposals contained in the bill will be addressed by various members of government. Additional funding is required to cover liabilities on hand and to meet expenditure to the end of the fiscal year. The supplementary appropriation, of just over 3.8 billion, affects the following 22 heads. The President, 01. 
Auditor General, 02. The Parliament, 05. Service Commissions, 06. Statutory Authorities, Service Commission, 07. Office of the Prime Minister, 13. Tobago House of Assembly, 15. Ministry of Finance, 18. Pensions and Gratuities, 20. Ministry of National Security, 22. Office of the Attorney General and Ministry of Legal Affairs, 23. Ministry of Education, 26. Ministry of Health, 28. Ministry of Public Union. Ministry of Energy and Energy Industries, 40. Ministry of Rural Development and Local Government, 42. Ministry of Works and Transport, 43. Ministry of Housing and Urban Development, 61. Trinidad and Tobago Police Service, 64. Ministry of Foreign and CARICOM Affairs, 65. Ministry of Social Development and Family Services, 78. Ministry of Sport and Community Development, Head 79. So all of those numbers are the various heads. The details of the proposed supplementation for the various heads are in the report of the Standing Finance Committee. And as you may recall, Mr. Deputy Speaker, we had quite a long debate. I think I recall leaving here close to 9 o'clock on Friday. And as I said, we gave responses on that day, and we have circulated the balance of res responses today. Dealing specifically with the variation of appropriation in the sum of 100 million, this is required to realign the provision in the fiscal accounts in accordance with the new assignment of responsibility to the Minister of Works and Transport for the Secondary Road Rehabilitation and Improvement Company Limited, with effect from the 3rd of March 2023, as published in the Gazette, Volume 62, Number 38, dated 13th February 2023. This variation facilitates an increase of $100 million under Head 43, Ministry of Works and Transport, with a commensurate decrease under Head 42, Ministry of Rural Development and Local Government. Mr. Deputy Speaker, as I indicated, we had quite a lengthy debate on Friday. We had quite a lengthy discussion, sorry, on the supplementation of appropriation. All members will have the documentation with respect to the deliberations in the Standing Finance Committee. And we'll be aware of the supplementation, for example, the Auditor General in the amount of $1,493,000, the Parliament in the amount of 14 million. 591,000, service commissions in the sum of 3,566,000, Tobago House of Assembly in the amount of 100 million, and so on. I don't think I need to belabor the House and repeat the discussion that we had on Friday, or do I need to go into the details of the supplementation since we had, as far as I can recall, a discussion that lasted at least seven hours on Friday 
on every single head, item, and sub-item. I would simply like to draw members' attention again to the fact that the supplementation for Head 18, Ministry of Finance, does not involve any expenditure by the Ministry of Finance per se. And that is a supplementation in the amount of 313 million $724,596. And that is a supplementation to the Infrastructure Development Fund. And the way the Infrastructure Development Fund works, the appropriation is placed in the Ministry of Finance for distribution to other ministries. So this particular supplementation of $313,724,596 will be distributed in this way. Of that total, Head 26, the Ministry of Education, will receive $105,876,289. And this would be for the development program because the Infrastructure Development Fund was specifically set up many years ago 15 years ago or so, to allow state enterprises to carry out work on behalf of ministries. So that the $105 million that will be given as a supplementation to the Ministry of Education through the Infrastructure Development Fund will be for refurbishment, repair, construction work, etc., on schools of various types. The Ministry of Health is receiving from the Ministry of Finance's IDF allocation the sum of additional $78,271,000, and that would be for construction work, payment for Arima Point Fortin Hospitals, the new admin building, and so on, San Fernando Teaching Hospital. Head 48 is being supplemented through the Infrastructure Development Fund, Ministry of Trade, will receive 9.8 million for the Phoenix Park Industrial Estate Project. Head 79, Ministry of Sport and Community Development, is being supplemented in the amount of $103,192,097 for various work, refurbishment work, construction work, such as work at the Hazley Crawford Stadium, Skinner Park, Dwight York Stadium, etc. Head 80, Ministry of Tourism, Culture and the Arts, is being supplemented through the Ministry of Finance, Infrastructure Development Fund, in the amount of $16,585,210 to meet outstanding payments for the construction of the Desperados Pan Theater and the Arapita Avenue Enhancement Project. So I just want to repeat that this supplementation to the Ministry of Finance is really for onward distribution to other ministries. As I said, I don't want to belabor the House and rehash the discussion that we had on Friday. Mr. Deputy Speaker, how much time do I have? You finish at 3.39. Thank you, sir. I have 33 minutes. Thank you. Let me give some information now, since we have to look at revenue and expenditure as we go forward in terms of how we're going to fund and 
allocate funding for the items covered in the report of the Standing Finance Committee. The original estimate of revenue for fiscal 2023 was $56,175,400,000. The budgeted expenditure for fiscal 2023 was $57,684,684,600,000 which gave an estimated deficit at the time in September of 2022 of 1,509.2 million, which was less than 1% of GDP at the time. The projected revenue now for the year is expected to be somewhere in the region of one billion less than original estimates. And expenditure, of course, because we are supplementing the uh, appropriation, will be more. But let me deal with some issues in the public domain because we have a lot of uninformed people in Trinidad and Tobago, who make comments that have no basis in reality, among others, and make up their own data. So let me inform honorable members, and by extension, the national community, the actual weighted average prices of local crude and the actual country-weighted average net-back prices for natural gas over the six-month period. And let me start by saying it's a fallacy perpetuated by people who should know better that when a Minister of Finance, whether it is me or my predecessors, states an oil price and a gas price in the budget the oil price is the weighted average price of local crude, and therefore it is not WTI, it is not Brent, or any other international price. It is the actual price es estimated, or the price that is estimated for our local crude, and we get crude from all sources. We have different types of crude in Trinidad and Tobago. We have light, sweet crude off our east coast, we have heavier crude on land and different types of crude in different areas, whether it is shallow water in the uh, western part, whether it is shallow water in the eastern part, and so on. So that I can put into the record that the weighted average local crude oil and condensate price, because condensate is also subject to supplemental petroleum tax for October, the month in which we debated the budget, it was $93.26. That was a local weighted average country price for crude, a little higher than our budget estimate of $92.50. In November, it dropped to $90.39. 
weighted average local crude price. December, $76.87. January, $78.62. February, $78.40. March, $73.35. And those of us who follow oil prices will know about the extreme volatility of oil prices. For example, if one was looking at oil prices today, it has reached as high as $77 today. Currently trading at, Brent is currently trading at $76.41. But it reached as high as $77.60 today. A week ago, Brent was below 70. So Brent has changed by 10% in one week. So that there is extreme volatility in the oil sector. Many different reasons. You have projections of demand. Demand is one of the things that affects oil prices. One looks at the US economy, one looks at the largest economies in the world, United States, China, Europe, and so on, EU region. And traders will make a projection based on demand when they look at the growth in the advanced economies of the world and the consumers of oil. They would make a projection as to what they think the demand for oil will be in the months to come. And then they will look at supply. And oil prices are affected by that. Oil prices are also affected by geopolitical events, most notably the war in Ukraine, but there are other geopolitical events. Oil prices are also affected by the strength of the US dollar, because the United States dollar is the currency that oil prices is benchmarked in. When the US dollar appreciates and strengthens against the yen, against the euro, and so on, that causes oil prices to drop. When it weakens, that causes oil prices to rise. So when I, when I look at the weighted average local crude price for the half year, the average that we have is $81.27 which is just about $11 less than our budget projection. And that has affected the revenue to some extent. However, let's go to the other element of revenue from petroleum, where there is so much misinformation, it's not funny. The net back price for LNG in Trinidad and Tobago in October was a staggering $17.45. Let me repeat that. The net back price for gas in October was a staggering $17.45 for LNG. Domestic net back prices were $7.19. The monthly weighted gas price, comparing gas from LNG supply, net back, and gas from local, petrochemical industries, the monthly weighted gas price for October of 2022, the first year of the half year, first month of the half year, he wants it. For November, the monthly net back LNG price was $7.00. The domestic price, $6.71. The weighted country gas net back price for that month, November, $6.22.
in December. The LNG net back price was $6.99, actually $7. And the domestic gas price was $6.59. And the weighted average, because of volumes, $6.72. January, the LNG net back price, $6.29. Domestic gas price, $6.11. The average for that month, net back, $6.16. February, $5.07 for the LNG net back price. Domestic price, $5.23. Monthly weighted gas price, $5.19. March, as we have seen, there has been a decline in gas prices around the world. $4.15 for LNG, $4.15 for domestic, with a monthly weighted average of $4.12. The end result of all of this is that taking into account the net back prices for gas from October 22 to March 23, the domestic gas prices for gas October 22 to March 23, the monthly weighted average for the first half of the fiscal year for gas net back price $6.98. So therefore, the net back prices we are getting for natural gas is, or the price is better than our budget estimate. So the oil is lower, the gas is higher. And as a result, when one looks at the revenue for the first half of the fiscal year, the revenue projected based on the budget estimates was 28.48 billion. The actual revenue received for the period October 22 to March 23 was 27.4 billion, just a billion less. So we're not doing as badly as some people would like the country to believe. Talk, talk, talk. Is streaming at freedom106.5.com.